And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, got, a, got a special one today. It's been a while since we've talked to him. And, and, and um, I found myself pulling my hair out over a lot of these headlines regarding uh, <clears throat> it being a lot of bad news priced into this market. Uh, doomsdayers are wrong. This is a buying opportunity. I mean, you name it. Uh, and so when considering valuations, because that's, that's the argument. Oh, this sell-off has gone way too far. There's so much bad news priced in. Um, if you could tell by my tone, I disagree. But, but when it comes to these things, this is why we've got our guy. And our guy, is our, I refer to lovingly, is our Viceroy of Value, Mr. Tobias Carlisle. It's been a while since you've been on, sir. Welcome back to the show, and we're really glad to have you. What's up, Zach? Thanks for that very kind introduction. It's nice to be back. Yeah, I see. I practice these things before you come on, man, because I gotta, I gotta roll out the red carpet. Anytime I'm talking to a Brit or an Aussie, it's something about the, it's something about the accent. It just, you guys sound so much more credible. You know what I mean? So you kind of gotta, <laughs> you gotta roll out the red carpet a little bit just to make sure you keep coming back, man. Um, how how are how are things, sir, in your world? Are, are I mean, we we we've seen a nice. I, I mean, the, the, the performance has been a little bit back and forth this year, but, uh, hey, value isn't where it was a couple of years ago, huh? No, I, I'm very excited. I think we're, you know, it, it's impossible to know in the short term what the stock market is going to do. But as you point out, um, we're off a lot from where we were, um, but we're nowhere near a bottom of like a 2000 or a 2009, we're not, we're nowhere, or 2002 or 2009, we're nothing like that. We're really kind of just into the middle of the drawdown. Who knows what happens from here? It could bounce back up easily, and you know, then we just wait for the next one. But if this is the real thing that clears the decks, um, it's got quite a bit further to go. If that happens, then it's very good news for for value, and I think we'll have a good few years. Um. So let's go, and I know that this isn't what, uh, you're not a macro-focused guy. Uh, I, I get all that. But let's, if if you would humor me for a second, let's talk about the earnings backdrop. Because when I look at last year uh, compared to this year, it is really, really difficult for me to try to paint a scenario that is better for earnings this year than as opposed to last year. The the um, other thing I'm scratching my head against is when you look at, I and, and you and I have been talking about these discrepancies for years now, but um, on the way up, remember the, the, the ridiculous valuations, especially when you looked at market cap to GDP, they were defended by a lot of the bulls saying, well, these are multinational companies. And, and, and they had a point, right? I mean, they, they, it's, I guess it's a little bit unfair to compare uh, uh, market cap to GDP today as opposed to 50 years ago because these companies have a far greater percentage of their income coming from overseas. But that knife cuts both ways. Um, when you look at the dollar index at a 23-year high, when you look at rates, when you look at inf- you know consumer prices – I'm really having a tough time painting a picture. I mean, right now, the forward earnings forecast, and I'll yield to you, but I, if I remember correctly, forward earnings on the S&P are 17. Um, I, I just don't 
see how in the world we get there. Uh, can you can you bring any clarity to that? Well, the the uh, the stimulus from 2020 and 2021 has flowed through the income statements of all of the companies that are listed in the states, and so they they have this um, very very overstated earnings probably to what their more normal earning power is. And so we've come back from the multiples on those on those peak earnings. The forward earnings estimates are, are typically not particularly accurate. Um, <laughs> what happens is that the, the analysts tend to be too optimistic and the times when they are most wrong is probably times like these when you have earnings falling back a little bit. And so they will be over-optimistic, assuming that they just extrapolate the trend out. And instead what happens is there's just unknown weak there's weakness from everywhere. And it shows up in advertising. It shows up in just all of these secondary places too. And so everything sort of gets overstated on an earnings basis and then the multiple starts looking expensive too. So I would say we'll have a few quarters to years of earnings um, walking backwards and valuations looking increasingly expensive when that happens because the multiple, um, you know, the multiple has to expand to accommodate it if the, if the market stays where it is. I think probably what happens is we have uh, a lot more downside in earnings and that probably means more downside in multiples and coupling with that is we're probably going to have interest rates going up too. So I, I think that there's there's a reasonably strong argument that the market is flat to down uh, over the next three to five years. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, just back of the envelope math, looking at these numbers, it, that's certainly how it appears to me. One of the other interesting things that I wanted to discuss with you is, and, and I have not looked into this, um, so I don't have a lot to add to it, and that, that's why we're talking to you. Um, last year, fourth quarter was a real record setter, wasn't it? So it, w- the fourth quarter is always going to be unusually good, I think, and that was just the end of an unusually good year, of, of an unusually good cycle, really. I think that the the, um, the, the this is this is not this is not a sustainable level. Well, that was not a sustainable level. Well, and that's and, – and, and, you know, so I, and I, I'm not sure how many people know this, but if we're looking at a current P.E. ratio on the S&P 500, the fourth quarter, right, it, it's, it's, it's based on earnings over the previous four quarters. Now, not forward P.E., obviously, but backward-looking P.E. It's based on the previous four quarters. Um, how much can a quarter like that skew a P.E.? I mean, obviously, it's, it makes up 25% of the – you know, 25% of the uh, – of the calculation, but, but how much can that skew it? And one of the things that I've been thinking about, and again, wanted to run it by you is if you, and I don't even know how you do this, but if you sort of normalized the fourth quarter, um, I, I have a feeling that when all four quarters earnings this year's are in, they're going to be substantially lower. And if your, if your base case is that stocks stay here, and this is sort of what you just said, I think. But if you think that this is sort of a bottom or that stocks have kind of reached their capitulation moment, 
you're kind of arguing for multiple expansion in the face of falling earnings, slowing economy, and rising interest rates, aren't you? Right. So the S&P 500 PE is currently, it's just under 20. And um, the earnings are at an absolute peak. It was a big bounce. They had rolled over a little bit last year, and then they sort of bounced through to the end of the year. That's why I prefer something like the Schiller PE, uh, the cyclically adjusted price earnings. It's imperfect, but it gives you a more sensible answer than the single-year PE because the single-year PE in 2009, at the very bottom, the single-year PE was infinite because the bank earnings wiped out all the earnings for everything else. The, the bank losses, rather, wiped out the earnings for every every other component in the S&P 500. And so that just gave you the wrong signal. And that's that seems to be what the, the single-year ratio does. And this is why people bid the market too high or, or sell it at the wrong time. The, the, the cyclically adjusted one takes an average of the last 10 years of earnings and then it rounds them up or grosses them up for inflation so that we're looking at an average, and then it looks at the, the the index against that average. And so the Schiller PE is currently standing just under 30. And that's come back a lot from where it was. Um, last year, it was, it, I think it got, I think it got as high as uh, 36, 37, 38, something like that. It's only been surpassed at the very peak of the dot-com uh, boom in in recent memory. We're currently trading just a little bit below the other really expensive time on the on the Schiller PE chart is of course 1929. I don't want to say that date because that it, it yeah. sounds it sounds like I'm predicting some sort of crash like that. I'm which I'm not at all. We've been trading more expensive, and maybe that's because the the companies are better. Maybe that's because there's international earnings, as you point out. Interest rates are very low. There's lots of reasons for that, but. The market is by no means cheap at this point. It's just cheaper than where it was very recently. So I think that the where the Schiller P is, and it's looking at those cyclically adjusted earnings, what it's suggesting is that the forward returns are going to be considerably lower than we have been used to over the last uh, you know quarter decade or so, where we've expected um, the market to just keep on going up, and it's delivered something something crazy like. Uh, more than sort of 15 or 16% over the last 10 years, whereas I think the next 10 years will look something more like 3% on an average, on, an, on a yearly basis. So it's going to be considerably lower than it has been over the last decade. Well, and I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, I, I, you're spot on with your words about the Schiller PE, and, and the reason I know that is we had Dr. Schiller on the show. Did, were you aware of this? <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> oh yeah, we. I got to interview him. It was he. He was a great guy, but he made that comment. He he said that uh, based on the Schiller PE, that and and he said based on what he was seeing in terms of inflation is that you know he thought markets were still remarkably uh, expensive. He used the word overpriced. He, I kept trying to draw him out, Toby. It was tough to really get him to say, you know, put his flag in the ground. Um, you know, well, Schiller's Schiller's got that academic. Um, yes. That, that academic, uh, what do they call it, um, uh, efficient markets idea where there's no such thing as a market being overvalued or undervalued because they're always exactly correctly valued according to the efficient markets hypothesis. So um, I, you, you weren't going to draw him out. <laughs> well, no, he. I thought – hold on a second. We talked about that. I thought he did work about the market not being efficient. 
I thought he was on that side of the argument. Am I off? No, he's you're you're right. That that's right. But he's still he's still that's the orthodoxy in right, in, right. Okay. in the yeah. universities that he's dealing with. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you don't want to make too many calls, right? It's 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 uh, sit back and and let it play out, and just don't be on the wrong side of the argument. If you didn't notice, I don't have that same <laughs> reservation. <laughs> so uh, uh, no, it was it was he, he was he was the uh, ultimate gentleman, and and real pleasure to speak to, and uh, great guy. But like I said, it, it was just tough to kind of get him. I, I kept trying to bait him in, and he's uh, he didn't take the bait. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. So anyway, switching back though, to, to looking at the valuations, when, when you look at this market, um, where, you know, I think that you've got pretty good value in financials. Um, although I wonder, I kind of see this as an environment that is anything but orthodox in the sense that because of the reason why interest rates are rising, do you think that that is going to, you know, because the old that interest rates go up, banks more make more money. Um, I, I'm just wondering with the rapid rise of rates, you, there will be aspects of their businesses that make more money, but man, loans are slowing down. It, and and I don't think it's hyperbolic to look at, you know, loan issuance and things like uh, things of that nature. I'm forgetting the term right now. Um, what is that? What is it? What is that academic term we use to describe the issuance of loans? Uh, help. You. <laughs> well, th- thank you. Thank you, Toby. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It. Okay. Anyway, it's like, it's, it's, it's new, you know, new debts, new loans being created anywhere. Um, uh, you know, you look at several areas and, and just because of spiking rates, that seems to be hitting a brick wall. So a- a- any idea or any, any take on if, you know, are financials one of those deals right now where maybe they're not as cheap as they look? Um, because, you know, I, I, that whole argument about higher rates equal higher profits, that really there's a lot of steam taken out of that argument if loan issuance drops through the floor, is there not? Yeah, I, I think that the banks make their money on the spread, so they need cheap funding and then they need to be able to get it out the door right. uh, at, at a pretty good rate. And I think that, um, you know the banks have been have underperformed since two thousand and eight and nine for the obvious reason that they were the sort of ground zero of that last blow up, and so I think people have been concerned about that. But um, they have got a lot of religion since then, and they're much better capitalized than they were, and they have sort of to date been a little bit more careful with their lending. Although, who knows what's really happened over the last few years because that. That picture, the incomes have all been distorted by all of the stimulus. So it's very, very hard to work out what's going to happen. I do think that the valuation ultimately will be the thing that wins out for the banks. And though, while there might be uh, some volatility on the way there, I still think financials are a reasonably good place to be currently. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, you're trading at less than half the market multiple. So that it, I, it's hard to argue that's really where the house of pain is. Um, <clears throat> now, switching gears just a little bit. I'm sure you've noticed this. Um, what what is a bit shocking to me is watching the incredible U-turn um, that macroeconomic conditions have made. I mean, this environment has very little semblance to the environment that we'd been in for the previous, you know, uh, twelve, ten years, twelve years, whatever, however you want to calculate that. Um, and yet, the attitudes haven't shifted. You know, you get quote unquote the worst start to the year since 1970 
and everybody's attitude. And I, I don't, I'm painting with too broad a brush when I say everybody, but I mean the mainstream, you know, the, the, the usual suspects, the attitude seems to be that, boy, there's just a lot of bad news priced in here. And, you know, I just don't, I, I, do you, I, I'm really, where do you get that on a market that is looking at these headwinds, labor costs spiking the way they are, interest rates doing what they're doing, the dollar index doing what it's doing, all that kind of stuff. A market priced at 20 times earnings seems pretty, seems pretty generous to me, is it not? Yeah, I, I think that there's, as you point out, there's a, there's a variety of things that work against the market. So it, had, it has had ideal conditions for about a decade mm. where it's had very, very fat margins, very high multiples, um, consistent growth in earnings and sort of falling interest rates. And now we've got the opposite of all of those things. So you have to work out, if you think that the market's going to be materially higher from here, you have to work out which of those levers, so which of those levers has the, has the most room for expansion. So the multiple is, the single year multiple is, uh, is 20, which is a premium to what it is over the long run, which is about 16 or 17 the uh, margins are at their absolute peak. Earnings are at the peak. And so I'm not entirely sure where the expansion comes from over the next 10 years. Now, having said that, you know, multiples can be silly. Multiples can do anything. And they could just continue to expand. Although I think that with all of the other things going on in the background, mainly interest rates expanding, uh, interest rates likely going up because inflation's running so hot that that must mean that the market has to come back. Now that doesn't mean that we have a crash in the short term. It just means that returns over the next decade are going to be depressed. Although it often is accompanied by some more um, lower valuations in the market, which would be, you know, it's my polite way of saying a crash. <laughs> yeah. Well, I put out a tweet today where where. Um... I was sitting there saying, look, I really don't think hyperbole, you know, hyperbole belongs into these kind of conversations. I think it skews things. And I said, so I'm not – I certainly am not one of those guys that thinks we're on the verge of a Great Depression. However, saying that this market has a lot of price, <laughs> a lot of bad news priced in, that feels hyperbolic where I'm looking at it and going, in what universe is 20 times earnings – with what you're seeing companies report, with what interest rates are doing and all these factors and input costs and labor, you know, in what world is 20 times earnings expensive? It is, it is bizarre to me how skewed uh, the picture has become in the past 12 or 13 years. Do you think we're on the verge of – because it, it seems to me like we are, and yet there's other days that kind of leave me scratching my head. Do you think we're on the verge of more rational thinking? The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the example I've used is, is when I see interest rates doing what they're doing and I see inflation coming into this system, it, it feels to me much like the returning of financial gravity. Um, do you think that's the case or do you think the insanity can continue on? And again, we're not trying to I'm not trying to get you to up or down or how much. But but are you with me? Do you think that this is the beginning, that it's just going to be a longer process because of how long the expansion was for reality, reality to set in? And you're just not going to return to, you know, 2018, 2019 and up and to the right. Is it just is it just an investment sentiment or investor sentiment type thing, you think, or? You know, do you think that do you think that mental shift is beginning to happen? 
Well, let, let's let's assume for the moment that we are in something like a 2000 to 2002 megabit or a 2007-2009 megabit. I don't know if we are or not, but let's just assume that we are. In both of those two um, very long kind of 18-month to two-year bear markets, there were multiple rallies that were very, very big, you know, 20 to 30% mm-hmm. sized rallies. And there were, you know, then the market would fall to a lower low. And it just takes a really long time for people to wrap their heads around what is actually happening. And kind of by the time that they believe that it's time to get out, which is always at the very bottom, that's when the market's ready to rally again. If you look at 2009, there were 14 of these rallies from a low to a sort of a new, a lower high, but it looked like the real thing. And it was just really exhaustion by the end of it, you know, from 2008, sorry, from the last quarter of 2008 to the first quarter of 2009, there was that very violent selling. And that was really the last part of it. So we haven't seen that very violent selling and that real fear yet. You know, if you think about March 2020, which is in recent memory for many people, that was real fear. That is what the end of a bear market looks like it's yeah. not the beginning of the bear market it's the end of the bear market you get that very um you know a very high volatility index the vix which they call the fear index that really spikes that hasn't happened yet hmm. you get very big moves very violent moves in the market i don't think we've seen that yet which is you know we've we've also seen 2016 2018 where the market sort of pulls back to this level and then rallies again we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, if this is the real thing, then rallies don't really mean anything. It's funny you bring up the VIX because that's something we've watched about. And, and I haven't done the work on this, but, but uh, you know, at close of yesterday, S&P was down 20 and change on the year. I think, I think NASDAQ was down 27, something like that. Um, it, and and you, you may have not looked at this either, but, but it, it left me and uh, my analyst having a discussion about – when do you think the last time the market dropped 20% plus in six months and the VIX never touched 40? Hey, have you looked at that at all? I, not, not that specific set of conditions, but it's not uncommon for uh, – so if you look at – if you go back to 2007, 2009, it, it looked a lot like this. It was – you know, the volatility went up for sure, but it really only went back to its long-run average, which is around sort of 20, 21, something like that. And it traded from when the market kind of started falling over was like about June 2007. But it took a year where mm. before um, the the real or more than a year, it took, took 15 months before the actual crash really started happening. And it was that Lehman moment that kicked it all off. And so if I look back at that period, I think it looks a lot like now where there was a lot of precursor. You know, there was a the volatility was a little bit elevated. People were a little bit concerned but people weren't outright terrified until that final quarter of 2008, which is when it really kicked off. And I, I kind of think the same thing is going to happen here. We, if we get some some large institution failing, and I, I've seen it, there, it's happened a lot in crypto. There seem to have been a lot of the bigger crypto institutions have failed, but that hasn't translated into widespread panic. And I, I don't think we really see the end of this until we get that widespread panic. And I wouldn't expect it to even come in 
for, you know, it might not even show up until Q2 or 3 next year. Although I have been sort of saying for a long time that I thought that uh, that it would be a little bit sooner than that. I, I kind of thought it would be, you know, the last quarter of this year, but mm. uh, it's impossible to know the exact timing. But I think that the range is something like the final quarter of this year, the first quarter of next year before we really see the fireworks. It, it's funny you bring that up. And I haven't said that because, again, I don't want to be hyperbolic because I'm not at all saying it's the same situation. It's not. I, I, but for those of us that were operating in markets in 08, the similarities are pretty remarkable in, in the sense that you, you saw this. I mean, there was certainly some pain, right? The markets were getting hit. I, I want to say going into summer, I, and you might know this better than I do, but I, going into the summer of 08, I think we were only down about 15% year to date, weren't we? I would say that's, I don't know exactly, but roughly that's probably right. That would yeah. be what I, that's my recollection. And, 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 and the reason I remember it so well is I was all bared up. I, I was short and, and that summer was exorbitantly frustrating to me because there were so many out there talking about, Oh, it's dawn. This is the bottom. Right. Um, and thankfully we held on to that positioning because it paid in spades, uh, not too soon into September. And again, I'm not saying that happens again, but the, the feeling is similar in the sense that I'm looking outside and I'm going, man, that looks like a heck of a storm to me. And then I look at the people walking out of the building and it's all Bermuda shorts and tank tops. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And, and that, that feeling is similar. Um, it, what I'm wondering is, do, because the conditions look to me like it is possible. Do you, do you think, and I hate even to use the word Lehman moment, because again, it, it, feels hyperbo- it feels hyperbolic. Um, do you think the conditions out there, when you consider how low interest rates have been long, when you, or how long they've been low, uh, when you consider the environment we've been in and how different this one is, um, it would not at all surprise me to see someone big blowing up. Uh, do, do, would you agree with me? Do you think these? Do you think oh these- yeah, for sure. It's very. It's likely that there's an enormous amount of strain underneath, and you don't know who it is until until the very final moment. Although I suspect this won't be a credit crisis like two thousand seven, eight, nine. I think that this is more like the early two thousands, where we'd come off a tech wreck. So the, 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 the same thing happened in, in 2000, not the same thing happened, but a similar thing happened where the profitless tech was the thing that rallied most. So if you think of all the stuff that's in the ARC portfolios, profitless tech had this monster rally on the promise of dot-com 1.0, and then that was the start of the crash, and profitless tech was off 70 or 80% uh, before the stock market even started falling over. And the same thing's happened this time. We've already seen the ARC-type companies, and ARC, the, the ETF itself, is is off something like 70 or 80% already from its peak. It was a, peaked at 156. It's in the 40s now, so I don't know what that is, but it's something like 75, 80%. And then uh, it was the profitable tech that followed next that started showing weakness, and then it was just this general crash that overtook everything else. And I think we've had the profitless tech go already. We've had profitable tech like um, Google and Microsoft and Amazon have all warned and they seem to be take, they seem to be letting people go. So I think that that's the next domino. And then the final one is just a general wreck. And I think that we're kind of approaching 
that moment. I, I don't know necessarily what triggers it. It could just be, it could just be people go on vacation in summer and uh, everybody feels pretty good, and then they come back in in fall and they realise that uh, nothing's got better than it was before, and they decide they want out. And that, that's possible. That that's what happens this time around too. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, if you look at the pressure on consumers right now. Um, you know, with the inflation numbers and all the other kind of stuff. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that just starts wearing on them. Boy, I, I'm with you, right. though. It, it, it's, it does seem, it, it just seems really hard to extrapolate or, or, or envision some type of acceleration in this environment, <laughs> whether it's on earnings, whether it's on stock prices, whether it's on anything. Um, you know, like you and I were talking about, the nirvana that has been the last 10 to 15 years uh, literally not one of those factors is in play right now, right? Right. They're all going to be contracting. They're all going to be going the other way. The, the other thing that I would say, just about the, the early 2000 uh, crash, that was everybody it, – it's now remembered as a dot-com crash, but, but really it wasn't just a dot-com crash. It was things like GE and Walmart and even Microsoft back then too got very, very expensive and the multiples were just way too high. And so even though they are very good businesses and they continue to be – Microsoft continues to be a very good business. Walmart's a very good business. Google's a very good business. They are all very good businesses. The problem is that they are also expensive relative to where they have been and relative to where they were before they started this big run. And so it's entirely possible that the underlying businesses continue to do very well, but it just takes 10 or 15 years to work off the overvaluation, which is what happened in the early 2000s. So I suspect that's probably what we're going to see, lots of volatility, but no real progression. We might have big rallies, but we're going to those rallies will all ultimately be faded and we'll be back to where we were, and it could go on for a very long time. Well, and I, and I think that those, even the ones that look cheaper, right? Because if you look at Google on a PE ratio, it, it, it does certainly look cheaper, um, but you know, margin compression changes that in a hurry, right? And I thought I thought IBM yesterday reporting that they got a three and a half billion dollar hit just due to currency, you know, on a currency basis. Right. Uh, I kind of thought that felt like a canary in the coal mine because right. I think that's going to be happening all over the place. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. That's that's a, that's also true. I agree with you that you know many of those Google's Google's cheapish. The problem with Google has been that the uh, or, or the problem this time around might be just that the advertising is. The, the online advertising becomes a little bit more cyclical. They have been growing so fast in the past that the cyclicality of advertising spend hasn't been such a problem. But now that most people have migrated online, most businesses advertise online, they're probably likely to see a little bit more cyclicality. But we'll see. It still remains a very, very good business. And as you pointed, it's not exceptionally expensive here. It's probably pretty good value. Yeah, but there's a lot of room for those uh, margins to come down too. True. Hey, anyway, I know you're a busy guy. You got to get rolling, pal. I appreciate you for coming on and giving us that value update and kind of squaring us away. And uh, for those of you that don't know, you can follow Tobias on Twitter at, at Greenbacked, G-R-E-E-N-B-A-C-K-D. You can also go to his website, acquiresmultiple.com. You can find his funds, Z-I-G, that is one in our portfolios. Also, Deep, D-E-P, D-E-E-P. Uh, anything else? How, how else can the folks follow you? Any new funds you've launched? I mean, what? Yeah. What, what? <laughs> no, that's that, that's perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. It's always a it's always a, a pleasure to speak to a uh, to speak to somebody who thinks the same way I do. <laughs> All right, pal. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you for coming on, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys. That's all we've got for today. 
I appreciate you uh, uh, joining us. We've got some other, we've got a, a great interview planned for next week. Again, not going to tip my cap, but you won't want to miss it. As always, have a great weekend. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.